0: The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us in Church Online today, wherever you're at, however you're listening to this. I know that God has something huge for you. We as a church, though, believe that you are absolutely still a part of what we're doing. You're part of the mission. You're part of the vision. One of the things we believe here at Summit is that prayer unlocks the power of God. So if there's anything that we can be praying for you, would you just please go to our website, summitonline.tv forward slash prayer, put in your prayer request. We promise to be praying for you, lifting you up, and once again, just thrilled that you are here with us today. We are in Luke chapter 9. We're going to we're going to kind of wrap it up today and keep keep on moving down the road. One of the things I want to mention before we even unpack this passage is there's a huge marker that you wouldn't necessarily pick up on if you're just reading through the gospels. At this point in Jesus' ministry, everything kind of has him heading to Jerusalem for his final arrest, betrayal, crucifixion, resurrection, all of it. And so I I want you to see that in not our passage, but the one we read last week, there is a moment where Jesus goes, Okay, guys, hey, I've taught you as much as I can. We're going to go hang out in Jerusalem for a few days, and we're going to disappear for about a year. But this is our time. This is our mission. We are going to finish this race. And what we see today in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, we see what it takes to follow Jesus. And and before we read the passage, I, I just want to ask you this question. Have you ever told God, have you ever said this to God, whether you verbalized it, whether you just prayed it, whether you felt it, have you ever said this? If you do blank, God, if you will just do this, I will follow you for the rest of my life. If you will step up and meet this need in this moment, I will follow you for the rest of my life. In my experience personally, and also with talking to others, this never works out really well, because that's not how the relationship between you and the Lord is supposed to work. You don't put him in your debt. You don't demand things from him. He has given you all that you need, and you accept and receive him freely by his grace. But I myself have had that moment. I myself, when my second child, Reed, was born, some of you have heard this story, but he was born, he had trouble breathing, and I remember I remember pleading with the Lord, you, you save him, you take care of him, and you got me. And then the Lord met me in that moment and was like, hey, Todd, you, you've been preaching for a couple years now that my Father God is in control and that I'm more than enough. Is that really not true to you? Do you not believe that? Because you've taught others that. You, you have it written on the wall right out in front of your church. Do you not believe that? And, and the Lord, in his true grace, said, I, I need you to go learn what it means to say that God is in control and Jesus is enough. I need you to learn that because if you're sitting here telling me that the only way you're gonna follow me is if I take care of Reed, your middle son, if that's the only way you're gonna follow me, then that's not the relationship I want. And I remember melting in the room that night knowing that God was right, that I was wrong, and that what he was trying to get me to understand was vital to our relationship, the relationship I have with the Lord. He's in control. His son Jesus is more than enough, no matter what happens. But isn't it like us as humans, all humans, isn't it like us to want to control the relationship? Hey, if you do this, then I will respond. But until you have, then, then, mm, no, I I have some regulations. I have some rules. I want to put some caveats on this relationship. You meet those, we're good. We're good. You fail to meet those, then ah, we're going to have to talk about this relationship. You are not unique in feeling that, thinking that, maybe even saying that to the Lord. I am not unique, and having had that experience with the Lord, we are going to see today three people in particular out of Luke chapter 9 that say, hey, I'll follow you if, I'm on your team, if you do this. We'll see others in John chapter 7 who feel the same way. It seems to be pretty normal for humans to say, hey, I'm yours, if. If if you meet this need if you meet this requirement the reason we have to start today in john chapter 7 is because it's so important to understanding why so many people at this particular moment would be following jesus would be wanting to be his disciple because we're 2 years into his ministry he's just visited or he's visiting jerusalem And he's going to make a splash there. So I want to start by painting the historical picture. You can read it fully in John chapter 7, 8, and 9. Okay, you can read all of it there. I'm just going to pull out some excerpts to show you what's going on and this particular stir that Jesus makes in Jerusalem. We'll start in John chapter 7, 15 through 17. It says this. The Jews there were amazed at Jesus. They were amazed. They asked How did this man get such learning without ever having been taught? He he didn't come to school here. He, He wasn't trained under the top rabbis. How did this happen? Jesus answered, verse 16, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me, the Father. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak it on my own. There were people there who were like, hey, I'm intrigued, but I need to know where did you get this education? Because if you can claim it from someone I recognize as knowledgeable, then I'll give you all the kudos. But I'm not just going to follow you blindly. And Jesus says, well, it came from my father in heaven. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. On the last and greatest day of the festival, this is the Festival of Tabernacles, hundreds of thousands of people came and camped out in tents for a week in Jerusalem. Every year would have been really fun, honestly, the more I think about it. They did so to remember the time that their ancestors were in the wilderness, sleeping in tents. They did this every year. On the greatest day of that festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice to everyone who was listening, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Let anyone anyone who's thirsty. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will f- will flow from within them. This is a come follow me moment. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus stood up In the middle of this festival, as people were coming to the pool to fill up pitchers of water, to remember the provision of God, the living stream that God is, he says, hey, everyone, you're doing this symbolically. I am the one. I am the living water. If you believe and trust in me, I will cause your thirst to be gone. And many, many at that moment chose to follow him. John chapter 7, 40 through 42, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely, surely, this man is a prophet. He's one speaking on behalf of God. Others said he's the Messiah. He's the promised one, the anointed one, the chosen one. He's got to be the Messiah. So others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and be from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? And and those of you who've been with us over this Christmas season, you you know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph had gone there because the census required them to do so. He was born in Bethlehem to fulfill the scriptures. It it all worked out. But all the people there in Jerusalem knew was that this guy's lived in Galilee his entire life. He's not from the right city. So I I get that he might be the one. He might be someone I want to follow. But, 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 he didn't come from the right town. As Jesus leaves Jerusalem, there's a huge crowd of people who have heard him preach and teach. There's a huge crowd of people who have chosen to believe in him and a huge crowd who have chosen not to. If you read John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery who he looks at her and says, if no one else judges you or condemns you, then neither do I, go. She's probably one of the ones who followed him out of that town going, I I need that. I need him. Those who heard his proclamation in John chapter seven, they said, I'll follow you. And on this journey back to Judea, just a few miles, where Jesus will spend the next year of his life, the last year of his ministry, the last year of his life here on this earth, where he'll spend that he asks three people, and there were probably hundreds who were following him, but he asks three people a couple questions. And, and we read this in Luke chapter 9. We read about these people, and all of them, they say, I will follow you if you blank, if you meet this need. The first person, the first person, number one. We see him in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. So he makes this declaration. Hey, Jesus, I'm in. I got you. I'll follow you wherever you go. Okay? No matter what. Matthew tells the same story and gives us a little bit more information, so it's important that we understand the full context. Matthew 8, verse 19. It says, A teacher of the law came and said to Jesus, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. This teacher of the law, okay, he was well-respected. He was well-to-do, well-compensated for his job because of his education. He was willing to follow Jesus. But Jesus knew something about this man, about this teacher of the law. He knew that this teacher of the law loved his comfortable lifestyle. He loved having a nice home with all the food he needed. He loved being a notable person within the community of Jerusalem. He loved that. Jesus knew that. So here's how Jesus responds in Luke chapter 9, verse 58. He looks at this man and he says, Foxes have dens, birds, they have nests. These lowly creatures, they have places to live, but the Son of Man. Has no place to lay his head. If you're gonna follow me, it's going to be an itinerant ministry. You're gonna to have to leave the comfort of your lifestyle. You're gonna to have to leave the comfort of your wealth. You are gonna to have to follow me and proclaim the kingdom of God city to city, synagogue to synagogue, person to person. You're not gonna have a home. You're not gonna have everything you love and want in your life. But you're telling me you'll follow me anywhere. Here's what I need you to know. It's going to look different. Your life is going to look different. And it's like Jesus knew that this man is saying, I will follow you, but I need to maintain my standard of life. And I wonder, it's going to get heavy from this point forward, because I'm going to ask some questions that are going to step on toes. I wonder how many of you listening today, I wonder how many have said, I'll follow you, God, anywhere. But, like, I need all this. I need to make sure that my quality and standard of life doesn't diminish at all. In fact, I've heard some people say that by following you, it might get better. And what Jesus is saying to this teacher of the law, this well-respected person in the community If you want to follow me, just know what you're signing up for. You're not going to have the home, the luxury, the comfort, the community that you have built your life around. You're not going to have that if you follow me. Now, I'm not saying that's true for everyone. But Jesus knew for this man, if you're going to follow me for the next year, you're going to to have to lay it all down. Is it worth the cost? I will follow you. If. There's a second person, second person. This one's the hardest one to understand by far because of Jesus' response, but, but we'll work through it. Luke chapter nine, verses 59 through 60. Here, here's what it says. He's, Jesus said to another man, come follow me. So now there's this crowd following Jesus, and he's like, hey, I, I want you to come follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Now, that is... Not a crazy response, but I want to make sure we put it into the first century context, okay? When someone died, the funeral happened typically the day of their death because they had no way to embalm the body, okay? So, so I want you to know that what this man is saying is probably not, hey, my dad died a few minutes ago. Just let me go bury him real quick, and I'll be back. There's actually probably two options that make more sense, One, the man knows his father is dying and will die soon, and he wants to be there for the funeral. So it could be a few weeks, could be a few months, could be a few hours, and no one knows, but he wants to go back. Or there's a second option, and this one is probably what is actually occurring here. In the first century in Palestine, a person would be entombed for the first year after their death And then the family would go back. They would go back after that year or so, and they would collect the bones of the deceased, because everything else had decayed and disappeared. They would collect the bones. They would put them in a stone box, an ossuary, and they would then store those in the family crypt or tomb. And so most likely what this man is saying is, hey, my father died a year or so ago, but we're having the second funeral celebration here in in a day or so I, i just need to go get that done and then i'll be right back all of us all of us would see that and go absolutely go do what you need to do be there for your family but here's what jesus says verse 60 jesus said to him let the dead bury their own dead And that's where I get that he was probably talking about that second funeral. Let the dead bury the dead, but you need to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. There are living people who need to hear the good news. And yes, you want to follow me, but you're wanting to go back to perform a religious rite. Once again, not wrong, but there are people who are still alive, that need to hear the good news, and, and you need to be the one who goes and tells them this good news. What I, what I see in this second person is something that I believe is true for many who want to follow Jesus, and it is this: I will follow you if it fits in my schedule. If I can still go and do everything that I want to go and do, if I can still control my own life, I I will follow you. If you're going to ask me to deny myself of anything, then that's going to be a problem. And I know that may be a stretch, but that has to be why Luke tells us this story. To follow Jesus means that we lay our lives down at his feet. We don't get to say, ah, I... Lord, I, I have every intention of following you, but here, here's the deal. I've got some things I've got to go do. And I know we don't ever, ever, ever want to make light of someone losing a family member. And I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think he's teaching a point. Hey, there's kingdom work to be done, and you're either in it and for it, or you're not. And I just wonder... How many of us have said, I'll follow you if, if my schedule allows? There's a third person on this journey out of Jerusalem heading into Judea. Luke chapter 9, verses 61 through 62. says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. I will follow you. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Wow. I mean, that is a simple request. Hey, I'm leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when I'll be back again. Like, that's a simple, simple request. But here's how Jesus replies, verse 62. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people have drawn a parallel here. Between two passages of Scripture here, Luke chapter nine and then Luke chapter 14, verse 26. So I want to read that, and, and I want to try to maybe see where the dotted line is, but Luke chapter 14, verse 26, it says, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate, does not hate their father and mother, their wife and their children, their brothers and their sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person, cannot be my disciple." We'll get to that passage and unpack it here in several months. I do not think that's the problem here. What Jesus is asking this man, when he says, just let me go say bye to my family, it's all I want to do, just let me go say bye. Jesus says, no, I I want to be number one in your life, even over your family. And Jesus himself believes and teaches that we have familial responsibilities to our children, to our aging parents, to our spouses. Jesus believes that and teaches that. So he's not saying, follow me and just disregard your family. What he's asking this third person is, am I number one in your life? Am I the thing that matters the most? And then he provides an illustration that a farmer would understand, but most of us would not. And it's a simple illustration. He says, when you put your hand to the plow... You look forward to the mission field. You look forward to what you're doing. When you turn back, because there's something back there, there's something back there that's bothering you, there's something back there that, that has your mind, that has your attention. When you do that, the plow starts to veer. It's natural. Anyone who's driven a car knows this to be true. If you are not looking forward, your hand naturally goes where you're looking. And Jesus is saying, hey, um, you can't put your hand to the plow and then look back because it'll make the lines in the farm crooked. And that doesn't help anybody. We have a mission, we have a purpose, we have a Savior that we are supposed to follow. And when Jesus says, hey, I, I, I just want you to keep your eye on the prize, I don't think he's being harsh. I don't think he's being against family. I think he's simply saying this. Will you follow me completely? Will you keep your eye on the mission in front of you? I think he's asking in person something that we ask ourselves. Will you follow me at the expense of not being able to care for everybody else around you? Will will you trust me, knowing that I have your family? Like I've got them. There, there's a lot of people who are called into ministry, or called into mission, and their family goes, "Oh, I I'm just how's this going to work? How's it? It's you. You can't you can't look back. God's got your family. God's got you. You need to put your hand to the plow and go." But there's many of us who choose to say no thank you to Jesus because he asks us for this kind of devotion. And so I just wonder today, church, I wonder, do you relate to any of these three people in Luke chapter 9? Do, do they resonate with you at all? To the one that says, I'll follow you, but I need to maintain my standard of life. Is that a stumbling block? To you to follow in the Lord. I don't want to lose any of this. And I want I want to be with God, but I can't give up any of this. Do you want to follow Jesus, but only when your schedule works? Only when it fits in your time frame. Do you want to be the one that follows the Lord, but you need everyone you care about to be good? Just make like make sure everyone's happy. Make sure this This unit right here is good, and then then I might follow you. Do you relate to any of those three? Are are you possibly a person that's just confused about following Jesus? And, And you need today to make the decision to follow him completely with your life. And stop letting these excuses, your standard of life, your schedule... Your family, stop letting these excuses and all the other ones, stop letting them hinder you. Do you need to just choose to follow him today? And finally, what can you do better this week to follow him more? To say to him, "I'm, I'm with you, God. I'm with you, no matter what else. I'm with you in whatever mission, whatever Whatever need you have for my life, I'm there. I'm in. I, I, I want to be a part of that. What do you need to do today to allow that to represent your life, your faith, your following of Jesus and who he is? And whatever that may be, whatever that repentance may look like, whatever that denouncing of need for this or that or the other, whatever that may look like, What is it going to take for you to remove the if? I will follow you if. What is it going to take to remove that from your statement and make your statement one that is clear, heartfelt, and true? I will follow you. What's that going to take? That's my challenge to you this week, to figure out what it is that needs to happen to make that statement true. I will follow you, period. Father, help us to know what it is that we must run away from, let go of, repent from, that is causing us to lack that true statement. Help us see what it is that we're holding on to, what we're negotiating with you about and help us to freely give that back to you, trust you, and follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. May we be active in your kingdom work. May your ministry be at the heartbeat of who we are. And may your grace be sufficient for all of our needs. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.